0: back to the Peaked 2 Early Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 20. Uh, Newcastle and this pod continue to collect dubs. Uh, we're on a roll, Newcastle's on a roll, and uh, I am joined by the ever-lovely Oscar Saywell. Oscar, how are you doing?
1: I am very well, thank you, Blake. Um, Having a busy week so far, but really excited to get this pod up and running. It was a great There were some great games this weekend, I thought, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching some of them and extended highlights of most of them, so I'm looking forward to get into it. How are you?
0: Uh, It is always a better week when Newcastle win on the weekend.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: And generally, I thought it was a pretty good match day uh, overall, so I enjoyed watching football and I got outside and the weather was... Oh, Very yeah, hot. Yes. Um, mm. So, I, I don't remember the last time I've sweat like that playing. Soccer. I know.
1: It feels strange, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, Oscar, we are kind of continuing the exact same format that we did last week. Um, Very nice. Do you have a particular match you would like to kick us off with?
1: My... My gut, no. Okay, so let me speed up. So, um, my favorite match of the weekend was probably the Villa game. However, I I am remembering that Chelsea swatted aside Burnley four nil, and I do want to talk about that briefly because I think it has implications at, at both ends of the table. Um, Burnley were at Turf Moor on Saturday. Um, Chelsea, the visitors, and they lost four um, nil. It really stunted uh, their climb up the table of you know post the post january premier league season um they are basically caught up games wise now and still if not firmly in the relegation zone then definitely uh well certainly there but definitely in the mix to go down with the the four or five teams um i thought this was a particularly significant win for chelsea because it signaled the the return of a couple of important players um i can't pull out the exact stat from my mind but um Reece James who played and scored in this match um is so pivotal pivotal to this Chelsea side um i i know that the the goals that they score when he's in the team are so so much higher than they are without him in the team and I think it makes sense. Look, uh says Cesar Aspilaqueta has been a great Premier League servant and he's still a good player, but he is a much more old fashioned um, fullback than, than Reese James is, who the latter who basically plays as a an as an inverted midfielder, right? Um and, and it just shows I think their attacking attempt is much more fluid when uh Reece James is on the pitch. Um and And maybe even more significantly for Chelsea, when Lukaku is off it, um, Tom Stuckel has remained strong in his decision to bench Romelu Lukaku. Uh, Without that pivotal number nine, Chelsea are enjoying much more liquid football. And they look their most dangerous when they have Kai Havertz in a a hole and the likes of Christian Pulisic and Mason Mount and here and again Timo Werner um, buzzing around. Uh, And I think that that. Should probably be there. Um, uh, it should probably be the way they approach the Champions League, which I can see them going far in the season again. And yeah, uh, a, a significant, um, solid win for Chelsea, but um, Burnley will be very disappointed by their um, their slowing down over the past few weeks.
0: Yes, Rhys James certainly important to them. Um, Chelsea are undefeated in their last at least 10 matches Mm. that he has played in. Um, However, I think they're also just generally undefeated in the last 10 matches. Right. Um, But no doubt the return from the hamstring injury has uh, sort of given Chelsea a second wind Mm. uh, that is sort of pushing them to solidly be that, uh, you know, third side in the Premier League um, yeah it
1: looks like it looks like it. I
0: think yeah. even though there's not a huge points gap between them and Arsenal I do think there is certainly a quality gap um, mm. and I mean Arsenal could catch them and pip them for third but um, I do think the table's going to kind of end with uh, you know either City or Liverpool winning uh, Chelsea in third arsenal in fourth um well I think it be yeah relatively comfortable i think there's a savviness
1: um, to chelsea that arsenal don't have right and it's it's almost not really their fault because Mikel Arteta has put out the the youngest team in the league eight eighteen 18 matches out of the you know 26 odd that they've played um and so yeah the fact that chelsea can call upon Thiago silva um and N'Golo Conte and you know these types of players is, is hugely significant in the in the race for whatever third spot.
0: Right, and Arsenal are the most in form club in the Premier League right now. Um, mm. But you can see that um, the disparity in quality, where um, Arsenal can play phenomenal attacking football um, against Watford, and they still end up leaking two goals. Um, mm. Making it a little bit more nervy for themselves than they have to, whereas Chelsea um, steamroll a relegation candidate.
1: Sure. Um, you, you say most informed team in the league, and yet you um, Newcastle have the same amount of points of them as them in the last five. Um, Liverpool, the only team that have five wins in the last five. Um, but you know I Newcastle think, are right there with with Arsenal.
0: Yeah, it's uh, since January first. Ah, okay. Um, Arsenal cool. have accumulated the most points. Interesting. Um, I think it goes Arsenal, Newcastle, Liverpool.
1: What a top three that would be! That that uh, that would be bizarro, World. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't really have any questions for you necessarily on on Chelsea, um, or Burnley. Um, quick mention for Jesse Marsh's first game as Leeds manager. Uh, a one nil loss, but improvements in. In, in their performance, um, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, I don't. We talked extensively about Jesse Marsh last week, so we can move on from there. Blake, where do you want to go next?
0: I actually will bring up Leeds, Lester, just a little bit, um, because uh, we were, you know, three seconds away from this being a match where we talk about Jesse Marsh's first win in his first mm. game. Um, I. Th- I can't remember the two players who missed the essentially open goals for Leeds. Um, I think Ferpo might've had one, uh, and then Rafinha had the other maybe. Um, hmm. but the Rafinha one, um, you know, Casper Schmeichel, uh, reminiscent of his peak, um, in a player who's had a very poor season. Um, You know, he essentially wins them that game with keeping out that Rafinha chance. Um, And that's kind of, you know, it's the way that narratives work in football is, you know, we were that close to talking about, you know, how important a win this could have been for Leeds. um, And instead we're talking Leicester wins. Um, I think it's an important win for Leicester um, who were slipping and sliding They've now won two on the bounce and they are getting back um the young French defender um who I'm blanking on his name Wesley Fafana.
1: Yes, he just um, signed a new contract.
0: Yes, and he's expected to like make the bench not this next match day but the following one I think. Interesting. Um which will be a pretty essential boost to a a uh, side that has been tormented in the back line by injuries. Um, yeah. Um, that's Leicester leads. Um, you know, it's a game of margins. Mm. Um, I would like to talk to you about uh, not a game of margins. Uh, and it's not Chelsea Burnley. It's Man City, Man United. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, which... Can only be described. Uh, well, I guess it can't only be described. There's many ways you could describe this uh, managerial outmaster class.
1: Um,
0: a uh, really just a through and through domination. Yeah,
1: a capitulation uh, by Manchester United in the second half. Right.
0: Sure. Uh, inducing many rants over the last few days. Yeah, um, which have been entertaining. Roy Keane um, for one. But I think it is one of the truest examples of stats don't lie. Um, Man City, 70% possession, 24 shots, uh, 754 passes. I sent you a tweet uh, Mm. a few days ago about the the, uh, number of passes attempted in the final 25 minutes of that match. And Manchester United... Completed 23 passes. Wow! That's, um,
1: yeah, astonishing. Crazy. Yeah,
0: which is just and, pretty unbelievable.
1: Yeah, look, I think that this... I have actually maybe uh, several things to say about this, and maybe several questions attached as well. First, I think that you can maybe point to this match as a, a true example of um, player revolt. Uh, this type of capitulation is not normal. Uh, we know that the Manchester United dressing room has a bunch of problems, and in the past, I've I've really been adamant that players don't down tools. That that that's not really a thing that that a team as a collective would do because they're professionals, and and that's not what professionals are really about. There's not there's not much point in doing it. However, um, this this second half performance was was really the first time where I was thinking, oh, actually, um, it, it's quite possible here that this is an in, an intentional move by the players on the pitch to undermine the manager um, and perform badly. Uh, the second thing I, I'd like to say is, or I'd like to raise is, is actually Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, because we know that under his tenure, he had a knack for setting up a team uh, setting up a Manchester United team against uh, other quote unquote uh, big teams or elite teams across Europe and in England and getting results and Manchester City was actually one of those he beat his Man U sides beat Man City sides fairly often um, and he had a, a a good deal of success against them um, and I think at this point we have to ask ourselves what or how much has Ranić changed from the Solskjaer era. Um, and my answer to that re- sort of, I guess, rhetorical question would be the only thing that's really changed, even when Oli Solskjaer was at his worst, is that, um, the culture at the club is absolutely abysmal again. At his worst, at least Oli Gunnar Solskjaer had a, uh, a good vibe in the dressing room, had the respect of the players, had if players weren't happy that they would they would generally sort of you know we we mocked him for him they understood but they understood the value of playing for manchester united and i guess he brought back that magic spark to to the club by evoking um alex ferguson at every turn possible and sort of harking back to the glory days in every press conference um and now that's gone that's entirely gone it's it's perhaps worse than it Ever has been in the post Ferguson era. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, we, ca- we can start pointing at, at, at Ranyuk uh, more now than ever uh, and at his players as well. Uh, it is a disaster for Manu. We say this kind of every week. And, and they are just a very average team now, um, with the only good performer being Jaden Sancho, which is, is funny because he was nothing under Solskjaer. Um, any more thoughts on this, Blake? Uh, I guess a question I'd have for you is: <clears throat> Is do you think that this is an intentional capitulation from the Manu dressing room?
0: Uh, despite me being a constant pessimist, um, there is part of me that's holding out some belief that uh, you know professional footballers don't do this kind of thing. But hmm. I, I mean, I wouldn't be you know flabbergasted if it was intentional um manchester united are a club that buys big players and big players come with big personalities and uh, if there's any professional football players who are going to do it it's going to be the ones with the biggest personalities so um it totally could happen but i'm reluctant to say i agree Mm. um but just out of you know, I still have some sort of naive, uh, you know, concept of what goes on in players' heads. Um, yeah, talking about Ole versus Ralph, um, you know, or Ole wasn't all there tactically, um, but, you know, was a good man manager, um, you know, at least had the players fighting for him. Um, Ralph comes in, uh, Certainly is not a man manager, um, but is renowned for his tactical prowess, but has not brought that and has not brought uh, any man management either. In fact, you know, quite the opposite. Um, So if he doesn't bring either, what does he bring? And that will raise a point that I texted you about um, a little bit earlier. And uh, I said, uh, which of the new managers are most likely to get sacked? uh because you know while ralph Ranick is a temporary appointment so i think they will stick it out until the summer and get some permanent person in i remember <laughs> i asked you a few podcasts back uh if like what are the odds that ralph is the permanent appointment in the summer um no way that's happening
1: yeah now, no absolutely think. no way yeah
0: um, but I will raise you that question, um, which of the new managers are most likely to get sacked. And if you need a uh, hmm. refresher, those managers are Roy Hodgson, uh, Ralph Hassenhutel, Antonio Conte, Dean Smith, Eddie Howe, Ralph Ranyak, Jesse Marsh, Frank Lampard, and that's it.
1: Okay. All of those, apart from Ralph Hasenhuttl, who has been in charge for years at Southampton,
0: right? Correct.
1: Okay. Um, I thought I was crazy for a second. This oh, is wait, the fascinating. Yeah. yeah this is asked, no. You're but... good. This is the fascinating thing that, that we are running out of games now, right? Some of these teams um, have played 28 games. They only have 10 left. Um, so it, it, I don't. I don't even know what is the 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 record for latest managerial change in a season. Uh, That'd be interesting to know. For me, it would be... uh, I could see either... uh, Hodgson or Lampard. Now, I'm ruling out Ranić for the same reason as you. I think that at this point, the season is done. They're not going to get top four. I think mm, everyone knows it, including the players. And I think that it would be far too humiliating for Manchester United's brand to get rid of Ranić. Now, I'm spouting that, and it might sound like absolute rubbish in three days when they sack Ranić, but um, I, I just can't see it happening. Man, you care too much about their PR, which is already at a very low ebb, and they would be even more humiliated if they sack the guy that they got in as a temporary replacement. With nobody else lined up, there's only 10 games left in the season. Now, if Lampard loses heavily two more times... You know, in the next two games, which puts him on 27 played, he's gone. He's out the door. There's, there's no way he's, he's, he's still there. Their 5-0 their capitulation at, at Tottenham was, was nothing short of embarrassing. Um, and then Watford have not been performing well. They are very trigger happy. And as much as we all love him, Roy Hodgson isn't... He's not the most exciting manager in the world. So I could see him go out the door as well. And, and Watford replacing him with someone super random like Sam Allardyce or something crazy. Um, so it's between those two for me.
0: Yeah, um, based on history of the club, I agree. Roy Hodgson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Watford might go through two more managers this season. We don't uh, really know at this point. Yeah. Um, and I agree with Frank Lampard. Um, I think Everton are a club that reeks of desperation. Um, yep, absolutely. And I think they're going to be, uh, very tight in the collar to avoid, uh, relegation this season. Mm-hmm. So I agree wholeheartedly.
1: Shall we um, talk? Yeah, we should on... move on.
0: It's a long time to talk about. That's fine. Uh, the club. It's we interesting.
1: We do Villa. I want to touch on Villa here. Um, they stormed to a 4-0 home victory against Southampton. Um, playing a, a great brand of fluid counter-attacking football. Um, two wins on the bounce for them now. Gerard seems to have got over a bit of a slump that they've been experiencing in the post-January transfer window. Four different goal scorers uh, on this match day for them. Ollie Watkins, Douglas Luiz, Felipe Coutinho and Danny Ings all getting on the score sheet before the hour mark um Felipe Coutinho in this match was sumptuous. uh and I at this point I'm wondering if well it depends on how how desperate Barcelona are for for money um but if Villa can negotiate his price tag down by you know by by 10 million maybe a little bit more uh, they they should go for this guy because He's showing a, a, an impetus and, and even a physicality that I, I really wasn't expecting from him. Um, and I think we talk often about unpolished gems in football. And I think this is an example of, of a polished gem. Um, and I don't want that to be a too weird turn of phrase, but it, he's playing like a mature player and a player with a lot to prove. And a player who has been missing flaunting his world-class skill for the past four years. Um, and and the results are fantastic. I think he, he got a goal and, and two assists uh, on this match day. And he, he ran the show. And he's, he's a joy to watch. I love watching him. And it seems like a really cool fit. Um, so yeah, just shout-out to this match. It, it was... A really great performance from villa um just very very tight very clinical and and they blew a, uh, blew away a Southampton side who had been really impressive um over the past three or four months uh and yeah, great game. did you watch this one do you have any thoughts
0: uh I did not watch, but I've seen the highlights um i it was one of the ones where you know you catch it at uh the halftime of another match mm um. And they give you the little, the very brief highlight package. Um, Yeah, uh, Felipe Coutinho um, seemingly uh, in vintage form right now. Um, I think the reports out of Barcelona recently have been that they don't want him back, no matter how good he is. Which, yeah, which is is a strange. I think it's good. A strange comment because interesting. No matter how good he is, like, you know, what if he scores 50 goals, 50 goals. in the next 10 match days? <laughs> um, Barcelona's like, no, nah, we don't want him back.
1: Well, but um, then they wouldn't want him back because they could sell him. I think that's what they're going for, right? They, they're they so correct. desperate for okay, money. Okay, got it.
0: Um, so, yeah, I see what you mean. I think mm-hmm. that's a good point that I managed to overlook. Um I do wonder what kind of fee it would take. Are you familiar with uh how many years he has left at Barcelona?
1: Felipe Coutinho? Uh yeah. I'm not familiar with that. Can't be that long. He moved there in 2018. There's no way he has signed a contract extension. It must be 2023.
0: Uh summer of 2022.
1: Oh.
0: Oh wait. No. That uh, no, they'd be talking mind. way That's... more. Yep. Uh Sorry, summer of 2023.
1: Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, that makes sense. Year left. Um,
0: yeah. I think that...
1: Frankly, I think the Villa could negotiate it down to 20 mil, and I would do it if it was 20 mil. 30 million is too much still for me. Um, really? Age profile. age profile, I don't know. Maybe I'm being harsh. 29. It just feels like you don't want to get carried away with it, right? Like, he's played seven times, three goals. He's had injury problems over the past few years he's 29 i I, i'm not sure maybe that's rubbish maybe it really is the fact that barcelona is a bit cursed and it just didn't fit there and he will be over his injuries now and you should be snapping up a player who um a sort of brings joy to the fans and b um, um but 30 million off the back of half a season does seem a little steep um but I'd love to keep him in the league, so, so you know, I hope they they make some sort of uh, decision that works for everyone. Um, yeah, I think yeah.
0: I think thirty million is a reasonable fee. I All think right. three years ago we would have been talking him, like if he was this, in the this, exact same position as mm, he is now, we'd be talking about twenty know, million. But I think
1: thirty million for a man who, for a guy who who has one year left on his contract and is twenty nine. Thirty mil. Okay, the in one the post, year left in the post-COVID, the it's a lot of money. That is a lot of money in a post-COVID era. Um, but Villa have. Sorry, what do you, you know? know?
0: Yeah. Villa have shown they're not afraid to splash the cash.
1: They um, they have shown that, but I don't know. I guess I guess Coutinho is proven, but but are there others out there that they could feasibly get? What if they? This seems crazy, but what if they go for Deli Alley or something? Um.
0: Okay. Well. Coutinho is uh, 10 times the player that Deli Ali is. He so
1: I know he is. Yeah, you're right. That's I I mean it's not a silly shout but I I I don't know. I think I think we just we have a tendency to, to get are showing great form and are showing a comeback and and yet like you don't know what's going to happen like has he show, he has not shown since 2017 that he can put together a sustained run of impactful form and so therefore paying 30 million for him off the back of a half season seems i don't know if reckless is the right word because villa are cash rich but i don't know if it's the the smartest decision but maybe they don't care maybe they'd rather take that risk
0: okay here's what i think will happen Coutinho will return to Villa um, and Villa will bid 20, 25, 30 million. Doesn't really matter. I think, however, if his form continues, some other Mm -hmm. club is also going to bid that amount of money and Felipe Coutinho might choose them Mm -hmm. like a more prestigious club, you know, a club that's already challenging for the championship of their league um rather than villa which is a super mm-hmm. ambitious club that is looking to push into that top 6 um and certainly could with you know not too many signings um right. but i think probably as a 29 year old player uh he might be looking for one final payday to be a star at a big club to go out on top and not spend the final years of his career really trying to push for to build a club into something for the future. Um, right. I mean, he's proven in Italy. Um, you know.
1: Do you think Newcastle will go, Vin?
0: Maybe. Um, uh, I'm a little hesitant. Well, here's what. They were supposedly looking at him previously. Um, and they've put out statements that have said most of like uh, their summer signings are largely going to comprise of the players they were looking for to sign this window. Mm. Um So if you go off that, then yes, Felipe Coutinho is a uh, pretty clear link to Newcastle Um, however, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think like, you know, I just said he was going to, you know, pick some established top club rather than a club that's building. So, you know, if he was going to go to a club that's building, why would he pick Newcastle over Villa? Other than the fact that Newcastle have the money to pay him top, top, top money. However. And they've already said they're not going to bust their uh, wage structure.
1: Right. And talking of Newcastle, Blake, um, you mentioned at the top that it's always a good week when Newcastle win and that you did a 2-1 victory over Brighton uh, with a, a really quick double. I'm just seeing now. I didn't even realize. Ryan Fraser on the 12th and then followed up by Fabian Share in the 14th minute. And you saw out the rest of the match. How was this game? I haven't even watched the highlights, actually. I usually leave Newcastle to you. Was it good?
0: Uh, Very enjoyable. Uh, For me, maybe not so for the neutral. Mm. Um, It was one of these matches that uh, used to be the only way that Newcastle could win. Um, You know, Hmm. score. And then cling on for dear life, and they usually ended up conceding late, and which is why we've been relegation candidates every season right. that right. I've ever yeah. watched Newcastle. Um, so it was. Uh, I know you find it a bit comical um, how much I hate Jacob Murphy, but mm. this match was started by uh, Jacob Murphy. Gets played through with a beautiful ball from Chris Wood. Um, it's he like uh, just blitzes past Cucurea, um is one on one with the goalkeeper. Tries to chip the goalkeeper and hits the post, uh, which is Poor Jacob Murphy. like the fourth time I've seen it happen. Um, and the reason why he does this is because in his debut for Newca- Newcastle, he played against Man City and chipped Ederson to score our only goal in that game. Really? Um, so now every time he plays for Newcastle and every time he's one-on-one with the keeper, he'll try to chip them and he hits the posts so frequently. Um, but uh, Ryan Fraser was right there and tucked in uh, the ball off the post. Um, and then I think about 90 seconds later, um, Brighton gave away a really stupid free kick. It was crossed in by Ryan Fraser. Um and just the most gorgeous headed goal you can imagine. Not because the goal itself was very impressive, but because it was Fab Char. Um and so very quickly, um, you know, 2-0 up. Um and then uh Newcastle kept challenging, kept challenging, kept challenging. Uh tons of opportunities that uh you know didn't go in the net. There was a Dan Byrne, big header. Um, there was a Chris Wood chance um, and uh, yeah basically they went into halftime uh, well in control of the game Brighton's only bright spot in the first half was Tariq Lamptey Uh, second half Brighton comes out the first sub they make in the like 55th minute is Tariq Lamptey off and so I was like okay well Hmm. you know that's like a strange decision He was the best player in the first half, but it totally changed the way Brighton played. Um, Brighton all of a sudden took control of the match, um, immediately scored from a set piece. Uh, Lewis Dunk heading it in. Um, The match from that point on was a little bit nervy. Um, Brighton have shown many times that they're a very difficult side to play against. They press very well, and they pass very well. And those are two things that Newcastle historically have done very poorly with. Um, However, I do think it wasn't super uncomfortable. I don't think Brighton really posed much of a threat of winning this match um, or even taking the draw. Um, But I think it was quite like a, uh valiant display from a obviously exhausted side to uh hold on to the three points um it'll be talked about as like brighton domination um but in terms of chances created brighton really didn't do much so
1: right uh yeah a strange little little dip for them i guess um in twenty twenty two. Um I I I'm I'm determined to say that it's off the back of those comments that um Graham Potter uh said to the fans what late late in twenty twenty one? Um it's all gone a bit sour or strange since then. Um yeah, uh how's one more for you is how is uh how is Willock playing?
0: Um So this this match, uh, he looked pretty tired. Um, Mm. Both he and Shelby look like they need a little bit of rest. Um, Mm. They're not quite as nippy as they have been in 2022. Um, But uh, in 2022, Joe Willock has been pretty phenomenal. Um, It's the midfield trio of John Joe, Joe Joe. John Joe, Joe Ellington, Joe Willock. Um, uh, that's keeping you know a 39 million pound signing on the bench. Um, and Joe Willock's form, uh, is certainly a huge part of that. Um, he's not even the one who's at risk of being dropped. Um, it would be Shelby dropped first. Um, one for play style, two for form. Um, but Joe Willock has found a new lease at Newcastle. Um. He's no longer looking like a torrid signer.
1: Failed, right? Very nice. Um, are there any other matches you want to chat about, Blake? Um, that happened this weekend. I guess the. I guess I'll briefly mention the fact that um, West Ham fell to a one 0 defeat to Liverpool. Um, Sadio Mane scored in the twenty-seventh minute. I thought that, uh, despite the fact we only mustered 31% of the possession in this match. Um it was it was quite a good performance away from home especially at Anfield. Uh, Mark Noble was who actually played a fair amount of this game was re- remarking um on the fact that he he felt good felt that um that we deserved to get something out of it. And I have to agree. Um I think we sort of we set up really well. We set up to to defend pretty solidly and aggressively and to to try and hit them where it hurts. On the break um and and it just sort of was unfortunate that we lacked that that cutting edge i thought pablo Fornells was was pretty good um there was a rare start for for vlasic um i'm interested to see his his trajectory over the the next couple of of months um uh, and and uh yeah a decent performance from us i don't have a ton to say on it um ben johnson who's always who's always put in for these huge games was was pretty decent as well. Um and a I believe a debut for um a nineteen year old player, a Premier League debut that is, called Daniel Chesters, who um Moyes really seems to uh, favor. He's a midfielder. Um really curious about that because I think we've had a, a couple of really good um midfielders not breakthrough um in the last few years. Um coming to mind is um Reese Burke, who plays for Luton Town now, he's he's been centre back, I believe, now. Um Connor Coventry, who's very young and still on our books, um, is sort of struggling for that game time. I, I really highly rate him. Um and um yeah, I I, I guess it, it was kinda cool to see um Moyes blood in uh, a, a youngster. I feel like that hasn't happened really since since Ben Johnson, I suppose. Um, and, and it, I guess it's it's good to see that stuff um, I'm not too sad about the the loss um, Liverpool keep their perfect record for the past uh, five games and uh, hopefully keep the pressure on Manchester City um, and yeah, oh, Josh Cullen Josh Cullen, sorry, he was the other one um, that he's at Anderlecht now and he was highly rated at West Ham but never sort of broke through so a um, little anecdote there I guess that no one else but me is interested in Blake um and then Arsenal Do you want to talk about Arsenal and Tottenham the two London clubs here um Arsenal scraping past scraping past I don't know I, I think yeah, that, it was they I didn't think I thought Arsenal would, were okay here's what I'm going to say about Arsenal uh they they won 3-2 away from home at, at uh, you know at relegation strugglers Watford um Kucha Hernandez who plays for Watford um opened the scoring with an absolutely brilliant overhead kick um he he is a scorer of fantastic goals that guy um but then um sorry he didn't open the scoring he equalized um a of, uh Odegaard opened the scoring in, in in 5 minutes but then Arsenal steamed ahead uh because Saka on the 30th um and Gabriel Martin Ma- Martinelli um, right after half time um I think it's a, a special shout out between for the relationship that Odegaard and Saka um have this season is pretty fantastic. And um you know Watford got a, a late Moussa Sissoko goal to make it 3-2. I thought that Arsenal were particularly good in the first half and not very good in the second. Um I've heard I've I've heard actually a a fair amount of fair criticism of Arsenal I think they're playing extremely well like you mentioned they're the most informed team um this year in the Premier League but you know I think at times they definitely do show that that youthful naivety um but they they steam on and they're up in fourth place they still have a game in hand over Chelsea um if they win that game in hand they're only a point behind them um so oh sorry a couple points behind them um so yeah happy days for Arsenal
0: yeah, do you think it's funny that, um, you know, we used to joke, like, LOL, Arsenal, fourth. Um, mm. and, but mm-hmm. they've fallen to such a level that mm-hmm. now we're like, fourth is excellent for Arsenal. It is excellent.
1: Um, um, yeah, and I think that's the effect um, that Arsene Wenger had on them. And, and and one of the reasons why it's kind of a shame that the people turned so toxic against him, um, because he was such a huge part of their success of the past twenty years.
0: Yeah. Um this was certainly a match talking Arsenal Watford. Um certainly a match for beautiful goals. Um uh my personal favorite was the Bukayo Saka one. Um but um the Cucho one and the Martinelli one are getting all the praise right now. Um but uh also shout out Alexander Lacazette. He was yeah, you know, pretty instrumental in this match. Um,
1: yeah, do you reckon they keep him
0: at this point? Yeah, I think they do. Um, I think he's kind of a good. He fits the type of football they try to play, um, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know their situation. Uh, you know, things like contracts and. Dynamics and what players want, and all that, you know, will factor heavily into what they do this summer. But um, I think you could do a lot worse than having Alexander Lacazette in his current form up top for you. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about in-form strikers, um, let's talk briefly uh, Tottenham Hotspur and their demolition job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, Harry Kane seemingly. Uh, finding some form, six goals in his last six matches, I believe. Um, yep,
1: he's on to double figures this season.
0: Uh, it's happening. <laughs>
1: um,
0: yeah. Uh, just a through and through demolition. Um, yeah. It it was one of those ones where uh, I wasn't able to turn on the match until um after halftime. Um, so at least I caught some goals, but it really did feel like spurs took their foot off the gas around the 75th minute um and they just knew they were in total total control um and it seemed like really nothing everton attempted could even bother them in the slightest um yeah one of the most lopsided matches i've seen in a long time
1: yeah same for me um it's pretty humiliating for everton and for lampard i think that this can be an example of a of of lampard's tactical deficiencies when you come up against a coach um like conte uh, this can happen to you um i think i texted you i was like i want 7 i i kind of wanted an absolutely horrifying scoreline um just to see what that fallout would be um it's super interested to see what will happen to Lampard. Like I kinda of said at the top, I think I could definitely foresee him getting sacked. Um But for me that kind of wraps up the the matches of the weekend, Blake. I don't know if you want to touch on anything more before we go on to our what is it, first ever question that we've talked about on the pod?
0: Uh I do not have anything else to talk about.
1: Wonderful. Um Okay, I don't want to monologue too much because I know I've I've definitely talked a lot in this podcast. So I'm aware of that. Um, but uh, my dad actually asked us a question on Twitter, which is very exciting for us, Blake. Um, and it's a great one, too. Um, I'll read it out to you first. Uh, he asks... Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm, I want to get the exact writing up here. Um, okay, he said, Enjoyed the last pod despite interruptions. Question. Does the pod give credence to the idea of EPL commentator bias towards big six teams? Or um, is this just the ramblings of a disgruntled other 14 fan? Um, very interesting question. And one that I think is um, is often asked in a tongue-in-cheek way. Um, I guess especially from my dad, Blake. But, um, but in general, right? Um, people sort of... Um, talk about this idea of the of the big 6 and commentator bias but if you will i think i will answer this actually seriously for once um cuz i'm interested to have a little bit of a discussion about it um so may i Blake or do you want to hop in with anything before i do that
0: no i'd love for you to start all
1: right so i have several thoughts the the top 6 right um my answer to this question that my dad poses about commentator bias when talking about the top 6 is um does it exist um yes but i want to talk more about why because i think the why is skirted over in favor of um while in an entirely valid um culture it's a sort of like a a a populist anti top 6 culture if you will uh, an anti elite it's sort of very rooted in in like this traditional sense of of you know football should be uh, a level playing field etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, the the top 6 the traditional top 6 who are city liverpool united chelsea tottenham and arsenal these are clubs either through money marketing or traditional stature or a combination of those three that have cemented themselves as globally recognized brands throughout the 2010s right in chelsea and city's case it was the money in Liverpool, Man U and Arsenal's case, it's traditional success. In Tottenham's case, it's savvy marketing and this like sheer determination to force their way into that big team picture, regardless of the fact they have no money and uh, have no domestic success. Um, but, you know, what happens when those clubs go global? They're talked about everywhere, right? They're always the story. And I think it's this self sustaining phenomenon that, regardless of the success on the pitch, people find ways to pay attention to the top six. For example, Man U and Arsenal are, in the past decade, terribly run clubs that have experienced little to no significant trophy success in the past decade and have splashed millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds on players. But because they're global brands and old institutions, People still expect them to achieve big things and still expect them to be performing at a certain level or have a certain stature in, in the Premier League. So as for those commentators, why do they have a, a big six bias? Well, I, I think it's because they follow controversy, clicks and views. And who generates the most controversy, clicks and views? It's the big six i don't see that changing anytime soon either these teams are almost too big to fail just just look at barcelona for for example they they're almost two billion dollars in debt a year ago but they're still receiving these loans from major banks to reestablish themselves as an elite club um there is and, and this is a similar vibe right with the the top six clubs in the premier league despite the fact that they they don't really have these massive uh, money problems. There, there's a, a privilege to them. There's an arrogance to them. There's an understanding that they they should be uh, the, the top six. They should be in these top positions in the league. And I think that, that final thing to consider is, <laughs> are most mainstream commentators employed to give balanced op- opinions? Are most mainstream commentators even good at their jobs? I think the answer is No. They're employed to talk about the teams that Sky, BT, etc, whoever, thinks will get them the most views and the most money. And that's not even to say it's a conspiracy. It's just to say that it's a product of the social media age. Which is why we've seen this idea, this concept of the big six, um, be cemented in the 2010s. And yeah, I guess little little monologue over. Um, that, that is my, my answer that I've been thinking about for ever since I saw that tweet yesterday or this morning or whenever it was, um, I think it is a little bit of an issue, uh, a complicated issue, especially when you throw in different questions. Like does the top six even exist? What is the top six? But if you want to talk about commentator bias, I think you have to look at, um, those factors of, uh, these are the teams that generate the most interest around the globe and and therefore generate the most money and that's why everyone talks about them all the time in favorable terms compared to other teams like west Ham. hmm
0: yes um thank you for your eloquent speech um (laughs) it was well thought out uh and i am about to present something that is not well thought out because i did not even (laughs) see this question um But, uh, the first part of my thinking of the answer to this question is very much similar to yours. Um, these are people who are the faces in front of global billion dollar media corporations, um, who are driven by profit and therefore will be de facto mouthpieces for the most profitable clubs in the premier league. Mm. Um, so we talked last podcast about how um, you know, like Manchester United is essentially a front to sell t-shirts. Um, like, you know, it's not even about the football team anymore. It's just, you know, how do they sell kits? How do they sell the brand? globally um which as a slight tangent has been something i've always tried to figure out how to bring up on this podcast um but i do think it's very interesting how each club in the quote big six has sort of carved out a niche in terms of geography where their international fan base is located
1: yeah it is interesting
0: Um, isn't it yeah like Manchester United fans in Southeast Asia, yeah, and Southeast Asia, yeah, yeah. Arsenal fans in Africa and mostly mm-hmm. like Western Africa, um, just super interesting. I would love I to see like,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I would love to see how that all came about. Um, but um, yeah. I mean, they're just for these, you know, they're generating basically in a world of uh, the fattest TV contracts and the most profitable clubs. Um, They're just feeding into each other. Um, And so I think we were always naturally going to get this sort of, um, I won't call it a bias. It's Mm. more like a a codependence or like a relationship. Right. Right. And they're constantly going with each other. What I will call a bias, however, is the way they talk about actions performed by players on the pitch, um, which is something I've brought up on the podcast before. And it's kind of, it's always met, you know, not maliciously, but kind of obviously with like, oh, well, you know, it's always going to be that way. But when, you know, other 14 clubs, when they score a beautiful goal, unless it's, a sensational goal it's never really going to be talked about um and even not scoring goals um things like passes and crosses and even if no one's on the end of them or a goal doesn't come about of it or nothing spectacular happens uh when you know when we see players and i know you're gonna yell at me for this you know players like tiago um Mm -hmm. will complete a pass and yeah, yeah, the commentators will just melt and gush what over yeah, what a phenomenal pass it was. Whereas that kind of, you know, phenomenal passes happen.
1: Yeah, all the time.
0: All the mm-hmm. time and don't get talked about the same way. Um,
1: no, that's an excellent point.
0: Yeah. I think that part does have some bias. Um, and, uh, yeah. yeah. No, so, I...
1: Can I keep going? This is really interesting.
0: Yeah, I would love for you.
1: Uh I, I think that I think I, I'm I'll sort of like semi address you, Dad, um directly now. I, I wonder if your your tweet, your question is actually, Dad, a veiled a veiled sort of like um question about why, for example, like the Guardian just rubbishes West Ham every single week, right? And I don't know, Blake, if this is the same for you at Newcastle where where I don't I I don't know if maybe this question is 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 less about focusing on the on the top six and more about uh, focusing on on the unfairness of the way that write ups talk about West Ham. Um, so, for example, Blake, I don't know if you're kind of tuned into this, but The Guardian every single week will will somehow come up with some sort of passive aggressive or just directly aggressive criticism of West Ham. So if we if we beat Liverpool, it'll be like. Uh, oh my god like West Ham never in a million years kind of thing have beaten like Liverpool like this is crazy like once in a blue moon or on 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 Peacock right uh it'll be like we're 3-0 up against a team like I don't know Everton and the commentators will start saying well you know West Ham uh uh are the only team to have ever lost 5-3 on eight separate occasions against Everton. Like, they always, you know, all pull out some sort of crazy stat about how back in 1952, uh, West Ham lost 4-3 when they were up 3-0 after 30 minutes or something like that. And I think my dad and I really latch onto that kind of stuff and just sort of think, like, why why do they have to mention this all the time? Um, it Because it's disrespectful kind of thing, right? And I think that... Dad, I I think that frankly, it's just because people don't like West Ham. And I think we have to ask ourselves is that valid to not like West Ham? And I think the harsh answer is absolutely it's valid because historically, West Ham, it's not great, is it? I mean, I think it stems, I think a general dislike for West Ham across the country stems from the hooligan era of the 70s, 80s, 90s, where we were frankly a dangerous. Fan base and a pretty pretty nasty club, and then since then, poor ownership and just other slightly embarrassing things that have happened to us over the past twenty years, kind of makes it, us a laughing stock and makes us not very much liked by by everyone. And hopefully, the twenty twenties will be us emerging from that, and I think we have done that somewhat um, already. But yeah. Uh, Blake, do you is that a thing that you notice with Newcastle? Like, is that level of disrespect there? Like it is for West Ham?
0: Alright. First I will attach on to that last point of yours. The mm. um you know the the hate of West Ham. Um I mean, by valid. supporters. I, I think it's valid.
1: Um Dad's gonna hate me for this, but I, I think th- it is. I think it is.
0: I think Part of that is also because there's not really a super hateable non-Big Six club in the Premier League. So it's pretty easy to, Leeds. Uh, you know, yeah. well, okay, well, Leeds is a recent thing. Um, but even then, Leeds have had like a well, they've had BLCS, you know, PR so they've, makeover. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Um, so no one hates Leeds anymore. Did Has West Ham had that sort of turnaround? They're currently in the I middle they're of it currently right in now, it, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So I think that is probably why there's some like lingering hatred from other 14 supporters towards West Ham. Um, mm. But um, yeah, in terms of like media outlets slating Newcastle, um, you know, I, I lived through two and a half years of Steve Bruce being in charge, and mm. uh, you know, pretty much every major outlet would just say. Yeah, you know, like oh, it's not that bad. Yeah, he's doing a great job for what it is, and which is part of why yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good. Good point. The, yeah, the past what 120 days or whatever it's been, um, has been so refreshing because uh, it's like vindication that you know we weren't crazy. You know, Steve Bruce actually was doing a tour job. A bad Job, yeah. Um, but yeah, Newcastle don't really get. Outside of the telegraph, um, mm. I wouldn't say they like across your, the board get your
1: fans hammered routinely get mocked or did before the takeover. Because the the thing that everyone is always banging on about with Newcastle fans is is this idea that you wanted too much, right? So like this false idea that Newcastle fans um expect to be second every year and back in like the Keegan days. Um, despite the fact that you've been rubbish for the past twenty years, um. But yeah, I I don't know. I think that uh, for West Ham, the 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 conclusion that I've arrived at is that that people literally just don't like us, and that's because of the actions of our fans in the past, and frankly now, and also just like embarrassing ownership. Like, how can you not like? Come on, Dad. Like, how can you not hate a team? whose owners like just in you know, apart from you know, recent years, have like tweeted out congratulations to I don't know, whoever some some player and then like posted a picture of an entirely different player and tweeted about which players they're going after and and just, you know, has Karen Brady in the picture. Like I, I just we're a very dislikable team or have been. Um, and I really hope that changes. I think actually, and I've mentioned it before, that it won't fully change until these owners move on. But um, we have done a pretty good PR job of, since, sort of, in the post-pandemic era. I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. that's you know a good analysis. Um, we got to have Dad the... on.
1: We got we got to have you on, Dad. Basically, He's um, already friend of the phone. Exactly.
0: Um, yeah. I would, I would love to have him on. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a question for you. Um, Mm. when West Ham fully shake this, um, you know, hatred slash bias, um, by fans and commentators and media, Mm. uh, who do you think is going to take that role from them? Newcastle. Nice. I was expecting it
1: because of the Saudi takeover. And I think
0: it's, yeah, warranted.
1: It's gonna take some. It's warranted. It's gonna take some absolutely insane sports washing for, for it to for it to not do it. Which, which frankly, Saudis are capable of because I can see them pulling a city and and a Manchester City, so, you know, a a city football group and literally changing the infrastructure of vast parts of Newcastle, um, which which will do it. Um, but you know, I, I guess you could also thrown. I'm not sure. I think this is just such a fa- we could do a whole podcast on this because because also the other thing you have to say is that top 6 teams are also hated. People absolutely hate Chelsea. They hate them, right? They hate manu And so this is like the interesting thing I I guess again and we talk about it all the time where you get into legacy fandom versus non-legacy fandom. People who are very knowledgeable or have cultural connections to the Premier League and to English football um have these historical you know this historical dislike for for manchester united let's not forget for example that man U, you know were a sort of universally hated team um at least domestically because of their success and also because they were associated with wealth and you know these like london businessmen going up to manchester and having it as their club Um, but in this in this era of, of global of football clubs as global brands, I guess I guess that has softened, right? But we shouldn't forget that the, that the top six teams are also very much disliked. Um I guess bringing it back to the commentator bit, it, it can be, you know, scarce on the ground for, for when these clubs are criticized. The players are criticized constantly, but the clubs themselves aren't mocked as much as they maybe should be, especially in United's case.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. You know, commentators try to make it this like tragic story.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Which, yeah. You know, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I-, I said, um, I don't know exactly how I worded it, but um, you know, I feel like a lot of the animosity towards the top six, currently, is just from the other fourteen, clubs' mm. supporters. Um, yeah. Sure. I feel like kind of between the top 6 clubs other than well okay i'll say this first part first between the top six clubs from me as an outsider it sort of seems like the supporters have this kind of club uh where you know they dislike each other because they're competition but they don't hate each other um,
1: Right. Yeah. It,
0: whereas we hate the top six. Um, yeah. And even like Arsenal, Spurs.
1: It's been diluted over the past few years. Yeah. yeah
0: it doesn't feel like you know an intense rivalry. Um, oh. And I think you know th- there's not too many you know diehard rivalries in the Premier League remaining. Um. Like Liverpool and Everton supporters hate each other, mm. but you know, that's a rarity. Um, so many of the clubs in the premier league, they're like quote, true rivals are in leagues that are below them. And the way premier league money works is uh, teams that are in the premier league either stay in the premier league or they get relegated and come back within three years. So mm. Uh, there's a lot of clubs like Newcastle, whose you know rival clubs are in the Championship and League One, and are not doing great in either of them. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of clubs where that true bitter rivalry doesn't quite exist, or it's very one way. Um, yeah, like I think Everton supporters hate Liverpool way more than Liverpool supporters hate Everton.
1: Yeah, I mean but I think that's a that's because of the the, the success of of Liverpool and you know on a on a trophy level and, and, yeah. and in in the past fifty years and and that.
0: I think it's natural. It's just sure. something that's missing.
1: Yeah, I think there is something to be said for this kind of bubble of the top six and it it being a diluted rivalry maybe because the fan base itself is so global and i don't want to sound super traditionalist and because i i do appreciate the fact that we don't have fights in the stands or this like nastiness necessarily when chelsea and manu play each other or, or something like that because that stuff is boring and makes football inaccessible um and makes football exclusive to basically, you know, grown men who want to just fuck around. Um, And so I appreciate that that's not, you know, that that has has, um, ebbed away over the past decade or so. Um, I guess, I don't know, wrap it up soon, Blake, but one question I have for you is that what will the top six as we know it exist in 2030? At some point, we have to stop talking about the top six, right? Because at some point, other teams are going to be more relevant. Like, will Manchester United be relevant in, in, by 2030? Will Tottenham be relevant by 2030? Newcastle, are they going to become a top seven because of Newcastle? Or are Newcastle going to replace one of the top six? Like, what's it, this going to look like? Or are we always just going to talk about the top six? Because that's how European football, at least right now, is kind of decided you know the competitions that we care about the champions league and the europa league top 6 do you see what i mean like yeah. what's going to happen what's the 2010s was the decade for the top 6 what is the 2020s
0: i think it's m- more likely we're going to talk about the top 8 we're right. going to move to a champions league qualifications for the top you know six mm-hmm. clubs yeah um some awful awful decision like that or something yeah. Um, I think eventually we're going to get to the point where it's like a top 10 and then the rest. Um, so interesting, right? And, uh, you know, they're always just going to add more Champions League, more Europa League spots, and that's just oh, going to yeah. add to the wealth for Premier League teams. And I mean, yeah. It's just going to keep going in circles. Until unless a... we see some financial collapse yeah um, which but that's like, what i'm
1: trying that's what i'm saying is like that is is that even possible because of like this cultural chokehold that they have like just look at barcelona that should have been liquidation for barcelona and yet they are fine right they're they're back competing on a on a on a pretty elite level somehow you know
0: yeah it would take some really gross incompetence yeah, um, right. i think to sink one of these these big teams, know, top yeah. six um yeah. clubs yeah even like you know just thinking about the way everton's been run um and you know they've been super wasteful and mm. things are looking pretty desperate and pretty depressing for them even if they go down they're going to have one of the largest stadiums in the championship they're going to have easily the best training facilities in the championship uh if the owner sells it they're going to be super super enticing for new owners because so much of that infrastructure is already there um so to even but that's just like sinking a club that's been mid-table for the last 15 years so what would it take to sink a top six club you have to be more incompetent than everton's current owners which is you know, sounds pretty tough, but yeah, who knows? We might see it.
1: No, I mean, I think I can, <laughs> I can feel a bunch of pod specials coming up. I can feel a, 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 a special on franchise sport, probably with Thomas or something, right? <laughs> um, to talk about like what that looks like, or if that's possible, or what that might look like in in football and and various other things. We could go on forever and ever. However, Blake, I think what time is it? Already eight twenty. We should probably wrap this one up, shouldn't we?
0: Yes, we should. Um, And I have quite some good ideas for some specialty pods. Um,
1: Thanks, Dad, for the question. Very interesting.
0: Yeah, thank you, Darren. Keep them coming.
1: Yeah, everyone.
0: Um, If you are listening to this podcast and you would like us to discuss something, please tweet us, email us, uh, review us, uh, do anything and uh we'll do it we are mm-hmm. uh but little monkeys yeah <laughs> yeah and, uh, <laughs> we will dance for you if you request it <laughs> we will um uh, so thank you very much good luck to whatever club you support unless it's a big six club mm-hmm. um and uh take care
1: bye i'm standing